Welcome. I am a lay Shin Buddhist who nevertheless maintains an interest in the broader realm of Pure Land and Mahayana Buddhist teachings. My YouTube channel is called Akala Akala, that is A-C-A-L-A-A-C-A-L-A. In these podcasts, I make a non-scholarly, humble, and sometimes bumbling attempt to explore a particular topic or question related to the wonderful Buddha Dharma. I hope you find them to be of interest. With that said, let us begin. If Buddhists don't see Buddha as a god, how do they see him? Well, you have to look at the fact that there are different types of Buddhism, different branches of Buddhism, and the various types or branches of Buddhism view Buddha in different ways. The early Theravadan Buddhists certainly don't believe in Buddha as a god. There are other types of Buddhism, such as Pure Land Buddhism, where there is sort of a cosmic Buddha who's looked to for salvation, to put it frankly. And there are no doubt some Buddhists who, within that tradition, view Amida Buddha as a godlike figure. But if you, if you go back from that idea back to the scriptures, back to the sutras within Buddhism, it's very clear that the nature of Amida Buddha is inconceivable. Now, you can say perhaps some Christians view God as being inconceivable. And to that extent, there may be less difference than Christians or Buddhists want to acknowledge. But basically, the type of Buddhism where you do have more of an orientation toward cosmic spiritual level entities, whether they be Buddhas or Buddhist-to-be, which are called Bodhisattvas, that is a form of Buddhism called Pure Land Buddhism. So Christianity has angels. Are there anything similar in Buddhism? Well, I'm not an expert on angels in Christianity, but I would put forth the idea that I think the cosmic bodhisattvas within Buddhism, within Mahayana or Great Vehicle Buddhism, are in many ways analogous to angels in the sense that they listen to our cries, they listen to our distress, and try to respond to our problems and our distress in this life. One of the most prominent of which, of course, is Avalokiteshvara, the regarder of the cries of the world, one of the primary cosmic bodhisattvas who, who basically is an emanation of Amida Buddha, the Buddha of infinite light and infinite life. Why and how has Buddhism grown in America? I believe it's the case that some of the earliest Buddhists may have been the Chinese who came to work on the West Coast in America, for example, on some of the railroads. But more consistent with my knowledge would be what evolved as the Buddhist churches of America. Namely, there is this form of Pure Land Buddhism called True Pure Land Buddhism, or Jodo Shinshu, or we call it now, or at least I do, call it Shin Buddhism, where some of these priests within that particular sect, which does represent an orientation toward devotion toward Amida Buddha, they came to Canada and to America back in the late 19th century and populated, for example, a lot of the towns in, in the western part of Canada and the United States. And that really became the major force of development of Buddhism within the United States, this Buddhist churches of America, so-called. And they kind of adapted themselves to be... Uh, not in conflict with the Christian 
church kind of idea by calling themselves a church, by having pews, by having ministers, quote unquote, instead of temples and priests, etc. Who is your God and how are you connected to your God? Well, again, I wouldn't use the word God. I would, I would use the word cosmic Buddha or within sort of a, a framework where we have different levels of the divine, if you will. Amida Buddha is within that level called the Sambhogakaya or bliss body. In other words, a spiritual level entity that we look to for comfort and salvation within the pure land school. And how am I connected? I'm connected by virtue of the fact that Amida Buddha, he made a vow back when he was a, a cosmic bodhisattva called Dharmakara. He made a vow that uh, he would create a pure land of bliss where I could be reborn when I die by simply entrusting in him. So the relationship is one of entrusting as far as that goes. Now, there are some very, very famous Buddhist masters, and I'll mention the sixth patriarch of Zen Buddhism or Chan Buddhism, Hui Neng, who he addresses this matter in that sutra of where is the pure land? And he makes the case that, you know, fundamentally the pure land is within ourself. So there's different levels or ways of interpreting, but those are just some thoughts in the matter. How do you talk to your God? Well, Honestly, I'm not a believer in petitionary prayer or in the idea that I can ask for things from Amida Buddha and he'll, you know, respond to, to my particular individual wishes in that regard. But I do repeat this phrase, Namo Amida Butsu or Namo Amida Buts, which means I take refuge in Amida Buddha. It's an expression of gratitude, but it also for me is an expression of sort of contemplation. In other words, if I'm going through a hard time, and I need that kind of comfort associated with a focus on connecting with Amida Buddha, I may repeat that phrase, Namo Amida Bozo, Namo Amida Bozo, Namo Amida Bozo, kind of like that. How do we know when we would have reached the point of the metaphor, leaving our raft behind? And of course, this references the key metaphor within Buddhism, the notion that the teaching is like a raft. The raft gets us across the sea of suffering to the other shore of enlightenment. And the point being that when we reach the other shore, we shouldn't carry the raft on our back. We should leave it behind. And, you know, I guess there are a couple of kinds of responses I could give to this question. You know, one uh, for those who actually attain some kind of ultimate enlightenment, our hot ship or even Buddhahood. But I think there's an interpretation that could be made short of that. And here is what I would say, that I think one of the fundamental problems in, frankly, all religious traditions is when the belief system becomes concretized in a literal form. In other words, fundamentalism is what it boils down to. The idea that a person is so locked into the exact words of a particular doctrine, a particular scripture, that he or she cannot have the mental flexibility to realize that that it is a raft, that it is merely a way to get to a, a more enlightened state, a more liberated state, a state that a state that is freer from suffering, even if it doesn't result in, so to speak, the ultimate, uh, however one imagines nirvana or enlightenment to be, different teachings and scriptures can help us along the spiritual path. 
But again, to the extent that we lock into one and feel like this is the way, this is the only way, and if somebody doesn't believe this way, they're not going to get to the other shore, then I think we've got a problem. So again, my response to this, how would we know? We know when we have the flexibility to realize that our particular path, our particular raft, so to speak, is not the only raft on the sea, is not the only way, not the only path. And I've just been doing some reciting from the great sage Nagarjuna, who was uh, in, the, in the early part of the common era, one of the great philosophers who articulated the, the notion of emptiness or sunyata through a process of philosophical negation. And he himself, in so many words, says there are many paths. There are paths that, I think the way he puts it, is there are paths that involve one taking a boat across the sea, which he would consider to be an easier path as compared to a, a path that involves going across the land. So again, that's sort of mixing metaphors. But the idea here is that there are multiple paths. Just as the, just as the Buddha teaches in the second chapter of the Lotus Sutra, when he indicates that all these doctrinal kinds of formulations, all these scriptures, each one of them is an expedient means, is a provisional means to the ultimate sense of freedom that comes from the attainment of enlightenment. But again, I think this metaphor of the raft can have applicability short of that ultimate attainment. Do you celebrate Christmas as a Buddhist? Well, <laughs> I live in the United States of America, and when Christmas comes around, it, it is pervasive within this, this culture, particularly within the southern uh, or southeastern United States of America, because it's largely a Christian country and a Christian part of the country. So again, inherent in my existence within this particular culture, yes, I celebrate Christmas, although frankly, I did so more when my son was young uh, than I do now, as far as that goes. But I want to piggyback off of this question to make the point that I am not very knowledgeable about Buddhist holidays. In general terms, my impression is that the three key holidays have to do with when the Buddha was born, when he became enlightened, and when he, when he died, when he entered Parinirvana is the way the, his death is framed. But I would encourage you, anybody who's interested, and I've gotten this question before and really don't have answers off the top of my head, that if you're interested in Buddhist holidays, there's plenty of good stuff on the internet that will help describe those and what their origin was and what folks within Buddhist cultures do to celebrate those various holidays. But as far as living here in the United States, it's hard to get, get away from the, uh, the Christian holidays. And nor, nor am I particularly motivated to do so. I do advocate for separation of church and state, which is a fundamental doctrine within the Constitution of the United States. And that means that I don't think that, that public venues should support necessarily one religion, particularly one religion over another religion. So that, for example, uh, if the city hall wants to put up a, uh, a nativity scene, I would be advocating for them also to be willing to put up various ritual symbols that would be associated with the Jewish faith or the Muslim faith, etc. The question here is, why did you become a Buddhist? 
And if you go to the video, I think it's called My Journey to the Nembutsu, uh, I give a description of what my experience was back in 1979 when I had a, a spiritual awakening kind of experience outside the context of any particular religion. And I chose Buddhism because it seemed to me not only to resonate with the experience that I was having, but also from an intellectual point of view, it had this notion of multiple paths as being legitimate. And so it seemed like a broader kind of approach that had greater tolerance, or at least the potential for greater tolerance. Now, any, any religion can be perverted, so to speak. But in general, I think given the kind of teachings uh, in the Prajnaparamita Sutras and the Lotus Sutra in the various Mahayana Sutras, as well as the very solid sort of psychologically oriented teachings within the earlier forms of Buddhism in the Pali Canon, that there just seemed like a whole lot there that could meet the spiritual needs of people, no matter what their personalities or, or needs as far as um, what kind of approach would accommodate their particular mental and environmental circumstances. In other words, I just felt like that that one was the one that, that I wanted to put forward to people as representing, from my point of view, the approach that had the greatest flexibility to encompass all the various approaches of religious doctrines, or at least those that encompass the elements of wisdom and compassion. Are there rituals or prayers in Buddhism? Well, I'll focus more there on the idea of rituals. And yes, there are many rituals. Again, just like with the holidays, I'm not as familiar with them. And if you want to really focus on rituals, I would particularly point you to the Tibetan Buddhists who have a whole array of rituals, including one that's very interesting and, and enlightening when one reflects upon it, which I actually observed not that long ago, within the past six months since the, the Tibetan monks were in our town and did their sand mandala. They created a mandala very meticulously over several days, this beautiful, beautiful construction, portrayal of a design that symbolized Avalokiteshvara or the, the Bodhisattva of infinite compassion. And at the end of the process, after the several days of creating this masterpiece, they systematically destroyed it, which is amazing, you know, after all that work. But again, part of what it symbolizes is the fundamental notion of impermanence, which is one of the basic ideas within Buddhism when Buddhists describe what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of existence? What is the nature of our life? Our life and everything around us is impermanent. And if one reflects deeply, one realizes the truth of that fundamental statement. Anyhow, that ritual kind of symbolizes the process. Have you completed your path? Short answer, no. Uh, and as far as my own belief system within Shin Buddhism, I won't, I won't complete my path in this lifetime. On the other hand, I'm not relegated to having multiple lifetimes of continual rebirth in this, this human form which involves so much suffering and dissatisfaction because within the belief system as a Shin Buddhist I believe that that I will complete my path when I am reborn in the pure land of bliss, Amida's pure land when I die. Actually though then in some ways I will elect to judge my path as not being complete in the sense that instead of attaining Buddhahood at that point even though I will be a Buddha 
I will then transform into a bodhisattva and come back and help others toward their own accomplishment of movement on the spiritual path, their own development of a raft that they can use to get across the sea of suffering to the other shore. And in fact, it won't just be a small raft, but it will be a great raft, a great vehicle, a large ship that hopefully can get everybody across to the other shore of enlightenment. And it's when everybody is free of suffering that my path will be complete. Namo Mitabhuds. With that, I will sign off by reciting the Nembutsu in gratitude for being embraced and accepted just as I am by Amida Buddha, never, never to be abandoned. Namo Mitabhuds. Namo Mitabhuds. Namo Mitabhuds. Thank you.